0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 in my Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. I'll invite you to be finding 1 Peter, the second chapter in your Bible as well. This is the part of our worship where we give careful attention to the Word of God and so let's all be looking in the Word as we get ready to study together for these next few minutes. As you're finding 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll join in the welcome from earlier. It's great to see everybody this just beautiful Lord's Day morning. We do have a number of our folks who are out with sickness and traveling, but we do have guests with us today and we appreciate very much your presence. You're an encouragement to us and we... Pray and trust that we are helping you to worship the Lord and to serve the Lord. And we want you to know that if there's something even beyond these assemblies that we can do to help you in your service to the Lord, we would just be privileged and have just be an honor for us to be able to help uh, in that way. You know, it was that wise old prophet Kermit the Frog who once said, It's not easy being green. Well, it's a little bit easier when you're around other people who are green. And so I feel quite at home today looking out and seeing all the other folks in green. Uh, you put me at ease. I was afraid I was going to just really stand out today. But uh, glad, to be, glad to be green with you. This morning we return to our preaching theme for 2019 about growing and increasing, what it means to be growing in the Lord. And this morning I'm going to share with you what I just truly believe is the most underappreciated and most underutilized tool that God has given us for generating spiritual growth in our lives. And we can read about it in 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse number 9. In 1 Peter 2 and in verse 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. It is true that sometimes, in order to get better in one area of life, you may need to practice and develop some skills in another area of life that doesn't seem to directly relate to the first area, or in fact, may not even seem like it has anything to do at all with that first area. For example, would you believe that if you got involved in yoga, that that would make you a better football player? Well, I know I certainly wouldn't think so. Yoga is maybe the last thing that I would think of as being something that would help me to be a better football player. And yet, six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, one of the, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the National Football League, he says that much of his success is due to yoga. He credits his longevity in the NFL on the football field to a regular regimen of yoga and meditation. And he's not the only one. LeBron James, arguably the greatest basketball player in the NBA, he also uses yoga, as do many other professional athletes all of whom say that yoga helps improve their flexibility, it increases their range of motion, it elongates the muscles in order to recover from injury, many athletes say doing yoga actually makes them a better player on the court and on the field. Who'd have thought? I know I wouldn't have thought that. I would have never imagined that this over here has anything to do with this over here. It just doesn't seem like this has anything to do with this at all, but... But apparently it does. Well, in the same way, let me ask you this morning. Do you want to be a better Christian? Would you like to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, sure you do. All of us want to do that. All of us want to grow in the Lord. Well, can I ask you this? Have you ever thought about have you ever thought about being more evangelistic? You thought about that? You ever thought about how this feeds this? Now, what some of you might be thinking right now is, wait, 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 wait. Josh, don't don't you kind of have that backwards? Shouldn't that be the other way around? That if I'm going to be evangelistic, I need to first do some growing. You know, there's just some stuff over here that I, I just need to mature a little bit. I need to learn a bunch of stuff. I need to gain more knowledge and get more grounded in the Word. Then once I do all that, then once I get really good over here, then I can be involved in evangelism. Nope, not at all. I am suggesting to you this morning that we need to flip that. I'm suggesting to you today that being evangelistic, that that is what helps you to grow in the Lord. That if you will involve yourself in the work of evangelism, and what do we mean by that? We just simply mean sharing the gospel with others, talking to people about Jesus, sowing the seed, if you will, that if you will do that, not only will you find that that helps other people to grow, not only does that help the kingdom of God to grow, but maybe more directly, that that helps you to grow. Evangelism, contrary to popular opinion, is not just for preachers. And it's not just reserved as a work for super duper saints. People who've just got it all together, and they've just attained to some high level of spiritual maturity. They're the ones who do evangelism. No. Evangelism is a work that all of us who are God's children, all of us need to be involved in. And I'm saying to you this morning that evangelism is one of the greatest tools that God has given in order to facilitate spiritual growth in our lives. Yes, we should be evangelistic because God tells us to. That's our opening text, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. We are to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We're to be doing that. We're to do that if for no other reason than the fact that God tells us to. But it's not the only reason. Because also, secondly, we are to share the gospel and to be evangelistic because there's people that are lost. You know, I know, we have neighbors and friends and co-workers who are outside of Christ. People who are living in sin. People who are living in the world. People who, if they don't get it turned around, are going to go to hell for all of eternity. And so what do we need to do? Well, we need to help point the way for them. We want to help them to see that marvelous light so that they can come out of darkness. But you know what? Running right behind that at a close third, maybe you could even make a case that it's tied for a second, is that being evangelistic, it benefits you. It causes you to grow. It develops your spiritual maturity. And this morning, I want to show you how. I want to set before you three areas today. Where being evangelistic will cause you to grow. And the challenge this morning, listen very clearly, the challenge this morning is not to just merely acknowledge these things and to nod our head and say, yep, those are, those are all good things. No, the challenge is for you and I to get serious about looking for and then seizing opportunities to talk to people about the Lord, to talk about the Bible, to talk about the kingdom, and then point those folks to Jesus Christ. When you and I do that, we will grow. We'll grow collectively, but this morning the focus is on the fact that you will grow individually. Are you ready for that? Number one. When you are evangelistic, when you get involved in this important work of evangelism, what you're going to find is you're going to find that that increases your commitment to church attendance. Now, I've already preached an entire lesson in this series on maturing to faithful worship. We just did that last month. And talked about how we need to grow in certain attitudes and in certain areas so that we can be more dedicated and committed to the assemblies of the local church. Well... This morning, I need to kind of flip that around. What I want to do is I want to highlight for you a couple of areas specifically where church attendance actually affects different areas of being evangelistic. I think there's just a couple of things that evangelistically-minded Christians, that they're always going to be looking to gain from these assemblies. First and foremost, coming to church, that provides you with the opportunity to increase and grow in your knowledge. If you're still in Peter, just flip a couple of pages to 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter 3, this is the concluding statement to Peter's second epistle. He says in verse 18, in 2 Peter 3 and in verse 18, he says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Christians who are evangelistically minded, they see the assemblies of the church as a filling station for growing in their knowledge. Now, I want to say very clearly that this, this is not the only place where you can grow in your knowledge. But I'll tell you this, this is a good one. This is a good place for you to come and get filled up in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, in the knowledge of His Word. Think about the things that we do here and the things that we offer. We have Bible classes here twice Every week. We present sermons here twice every week. We have invitation talks every week. We have a brother get up and make some talk and some comments at the Lord's table every week. We have special events like gospel meetings and vacation Bible school. All of those things are teaching outlets that really serve as just knowledge dispensaries. We do that stuff to dispense knowledge and to put that into folks. And while that knowledge certainly does feed our souls it also serves the purpose of then equipping us to go out and then share that with others. I want to take that knowledge and put it in my life, but then I want to take that and I want to go out there and share that with other people. And I'm saying to you today that a Christian who has just that kind of evangelistic mindset, they're going to always be eager to be here. I want to show up. I want to be in this place because I want to get some of that knowledge so that I can then share it and impart it to others. Can I share with you just a little a little insider preacher trade secret? Do you want to know what, for me, maybe it's not for other preachers, but you want to know what, for me, is the most the most difficult kind of sermon to preach here? The most difficult kind of sermon for me to preach here is first principles sermons. It is hard for me to get up and to preach, for example, on baptism to preach on baptism to a room full of people who have already been baptized. I get up and I preach on baptism and I go into that knowing that most everybody in the room already agrees with what I'm saying. I'm preaching to the choir when I preach on baptism. You agree with that. You believe that. You've done that. And so how do you talk about baptism in a fresh way each time out? Well, I'll tell you, it is a challenge. But you know what I have found? You know what I have found that encourages me to keep on preaching those kinds of sermons? I have found that when I get up and I preach on a first principle thing, when I get up and I preach on baptism, I have found that the people who are very evangelistic, their ears perk up a little bit. And they lean forward a little bit. And they grab that notebook and they start writing stuff down. Why? Because what they're thinking is they're thinking, hey, I can use this. This is some good stuff. I, there's some stuff that I can use here. I've got a friend who's always saying stuff about baptism, and they don't seem like they know what they're talking about. I've got a coworker who's always arguing against baptism. And you know what? I can use that verse. I can use that line of reasoning. I can use that illustration. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to put that to good use. Evangelistic folks, they're excited to hear our first principle sermon. And they're eager to come together to study about that. They're eager to come, for example, on a Wednesday night, where we're studying in 1 Corinthians 1. Hey... What did Paul mean when he said Christ did not send me to be bat- to, to baptize people? What did he mean by that? I feel folks throw that in my face all the time and I've never been able to give a real good explanation about that. Well, you know what? Christians who are evangelistic, they're going to get here on Wednesday night and we are going to study about that and they're going to feast on that and they're going to be here at all the other services of the church, the assemblies of the church, the classes of the church. Why? Because they want to throw in their knowledge so that they can then go and share that with others. You see how being evangelistic, how how that just helps spark growth? The other thing that I would say about that, that coming to church does, is coming to church gives you the opportunity to increase your influence. We just stay right here in Peter's epistle. Go back to 1 Peter again, in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, is Peter's developing some ideas about, about holiness how we're to be different from the world, he says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, I want to be very clear, Christianity is not about putting on a show. But Peter does say here that how we live outwardly, what we show the world around us, that that's important. Because people of the world, they need to see that there are certain things that we do not involve ourselves in. And by that same token, people of the world need to see that there are certain things that we do involve ourselves in, like, like coming to worship in a world that is just so skeptical of Christianity where people just do not believe that there is such a thing as a real, genuine, bona fide Christian, how important is it that we demonstrate to the world that, you know what, there are real Christians. And this is very real to us. That we do not just go around professing to be followers of Christ, wearing that on a name tag, no. We live that. We are doing that. And one of the ways that we show that One of the ways that we can show that we are Christians is by our constant, regular, being-here attendance at the assemblies of the local church. That dedicated appointment time, Sunday after Wednesday, week after week, month after month, year after year, that says to others, you know what? That God stuff, that Bible stuff, that church stuff, that, that Jesus stuff... It's obviously pretty important to that guy. It's obviously important to that girl. You know, I invited him to go with me to the, to the basketball game on Sunday night. He turned me down, said he had to go to church. You know what? I'll give it to him. That guy is committed. He takes this seriously. Honestly now, stop and think about this. How can we possibly expect to influence others for the kingdom of Christ if we ourselves are not fully committed to the kingdom of Christ? Can you imagine inviting a neighbor to come to church with you? Maybe invite this person over and over again. And finally one Sunday, they decide to take you up on that offer. And they come in here on Sunday and they start looking around and lo and behold, you're not even here. The guy invited him in church. Now, he didn't, that he was sick. Wasn't announced that he was out of town. He just didn't show up that day. Let me ask you, how's that going to work? How is that going to help your influence with that individual? I'll tell you this, it isn't going to help it very much. It's probably going to cause that person to think, you know what, that guy's just, he's just all talk. Talks about Christianity, talks about the church, doesn't actually live it though. I'll say to you once again, going to church, that's not the only way that you can grow your influence. But evangelistic Christians, People who are trying to be the salt of the earth and the light of this world, they realize that their presence here three times a week, regularly and constantly, that what that does is that is preaching a powerful sermon to the people who are around them and they then leverage that influence to draw people to the kingdom of God. You want to grow? You want to increase your knowledge? You want to increase your influence? You want to increase your commitment to the assemblies of the local church? Then be evangelistic. You'll find that those areas just start shoring up in a hurry. Now since we're talking a little bit about the church, let me then suggest to you secondly this morning that whenever you involve yourself in the work of evangelism, that's also going to increase your contributions to unity. That your interest in church unity will just it'll skyrocket in a hurry. Look in Titus, please. In Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, of, of all the things that the Scripture describes as being displeasing to the Lord, is there anything quite as infuriating to God as disunity and division? I, I, I have to believe it's pretty near the top of the list of things that God just does not like. Case in point, notice what Paul says about that in Titus 3 and in verse 10. In Titus 3 and in verse 10, Paul says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person, the divisive man, he is warped and he is sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, do people who are not very evangelistic, how do they feel about church unity? Well, it's an important subject. I mean, it's, it's in the Bible, right? It's something we need to pay attention to, I guess, but it's not really a front-burner issue. It's not a, hey, we need to work on that right now kind of thing. I mean, look, I'm not against church unity. I'm not fighting against that, but you know... That thought, it doesn't really control how I act. It doesn't really control the things that come out of my mouth. It doesn't really control the way that I think about things all the time. And so as a result, yes, sometimes I can be a little, a little pessimistic. Or yes, sometimes I can, I can be a little vocal and be a little critical about things. And yes, I can even be a little bit abrasive at times. And yes, I, I don't do a whole lot to contribute to a warm and welcoming atmosphere to folks. And I don't really go out of my way to encourage folks all the time. I just kind of show up and then I just kind of hope that nobody ruffles my feathers and gives me a reason to gripe out loud. All right, so here we've got Mr. Crotchety Pants here. Well, what about that fellow here? Imagine now somebody else invites a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker that they've been working on for a good long time, invites them to come to church. And finally, that person accepts that invitation. They come here. And as soon as they get here on a Sunday morning, we commence in Bible class. And Brother Crotchety, what does he do? Well, in Bible class, he just immediately launches in to all kinds of negative comments. I mean, just everything that's coming out of his mouth. It just sounds so just down, just ripping everything. It's just all, all negative all the time. And then the worship service starts. And we happen to glance over to Brother Crotchety Pants and we happen to notice he's not even singing. Apparently the song leader was leading the one song out of that whole big book that he just cannot stand, so he closed his song book and he didn't sing that day. Then when the services were over, I was standing in the aisle. Here I'm Mr. Visitor. I'm standing here trying to greet folks and get introduced to folks. And Mr. Crotchety, he walks right by me, doesn't pay me the slightest bit of attention, doesn't say the first word to me, doesn't even care about my presence. Can I ask you, do you think that that visitor, do you think that when they come, they don't notice those things? You think that when they're here in our assemblies, that they can't feel the tension that Brother Crotchety creates for us? That they can't see when they look around when the final amen is said, that folks are beelining for the exit because they really just can't stand to be in here anymore? Do you think visitors can't notice that stuff? Of course they notice it. They see that. They sense that. They feel that. Who wants to be a part of a church that doesn't seem to be very very united? Doesn't seem to be very in it with one another. Who wants to be part of a church where you have brothers like the Titus 3 brother? That doesn't seem very appealing. That doesn't seem like something I would go out of my way to want to be involved in. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that whatever opportunity you may have had with that friend, that visiting friend, pretty good chance that that opportunity has now been flushed down the commode because of the spirit and the atmosphere of disunity that was present at church. Now contrast all of that to the Christian who is very evangelistically minded. That individual is not going to be the bad attitude guy during class. And they're not going to be critical of others. And they're not going to be unwelcoming and unfriendly. Why? Because they realize that those are the very things that war against evangelism. Those are really quite ungodly attitudes. Those are the attitudes of Diotrephes and the Pharisees. Those are the things that destroy unity. And in the process, they hinder our ability to be able to reach the lost and to draw them into the Lord. Look in John 17, please. In John chapter 17, I want you to notice that Jesus, as He prays in this high priestly prayer, that Jesus ties our evangelism efforts, He ties that directly to our unity. In John chapter 17, Jesus says here in verse 20, in John 17 and verse 20, as He prays to His Father, He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one, Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Notice this. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given to me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Jesus says that without unity that we really cannot reasonably expect to convert anybody. Because as one preacher put it, God isn't going to put a baby Christian in a dirty incubator. And I think that's very true. And that is why folks who are interested and have an evangelistic mindset, they're always looking to to be a soul winner, be somebody who's looking to, to save and bring souls to the Lord, that means that they're also going to be interested in the church. Being united. They're going to be interested in growing close together with their brothers and sisters. They're going to be interested in building and fostering an environment that shows that this is a loving family that God wants it to be. And so what's the soul winner do? Well, the soul winner just starts by by working on himself, first and foremost. He starts by implementing some things personally. He's going to be an encourager. And he refuses to be stubborn and and self-willed about things that really are just matters of indifference. He's not going to go around complaining and nitpicking and being petty. He's going to be somebody who's always looking for the positive in things. He's being optimistic. And why? Because those are the kinds of things that help to draw us together. Those are the things that help to build unity. Just like the farmer who maybe has a cow get out. All of his neighbors, when they find out about that, what do they do? Hey, we're going to help you find that cow. Get that cow rustled in. Or if the farmer has a fire out in the middle of the field, what do the neighbors do? We're going to jump in and help get that fire put out. Or if that farmer, if his barn gets blown down by a storm, what's everybody do? We're all going to pitch in. We're going to have a barn raising. and we're all going to help one another. There is that spirit of working together for a common cause. We're cooperating with one another. Everybody realizes that, hey, we're working on a project, on a cause, that is way bigger than any of our individual selves. And we can see that on a farm. We can see that as well in a church. We are involved in a great work. We are involved not just in any cause. We are involved in the greatest, most important cause of all. And that is in saving souls. And so we all need to be united in that cause. And when you have an evangelistic mindset, you're just always going to be looking for ways in which you can contribute to the unity of the church. Hey, how can we get everybody on this team invested in this work, so that we can all have the right atmosphere so that souls who come among us, they will be able to see Jesus clearly? Just stop and imagine. Imagine if everyone here who identifies as a member of the Lakeside Church of Christ, imagine if everyone here was diligent in bringing others to Christ and then think about the natural result of that. Imagine what that would cause for our unity. How that would cause our unity to just grow stronger and stronger and stronger. That's what happens when you start thinking evangelistically. All of that then would lead me to this final observation this morning. And that is that when you get more devoted to evangelism, that's just naturally going to increase your overall consistency as a disciple. That how you act on Sunday, well, that's going to be the way that you act every other day of the week. You know, there's always going to be folks in probably every congregation who show up on Sunday morning and they put on their church mask and they act like they are real, devoted Christians. But of course, as soon as they leave this assembly and they go home, they take off their church mask And then Monday through Saturday, they just go back to live in the way that they want to live. They do not live the values of the kingdom. They are not who they profess to be. That's not what they're all about because they don't go and read their Bibles regularly. They don't pray regularly. They don't try to live lives of holiness and purity and godliness. And not surprisingly as well, they're not very evangelistic. But you know what? When you decide that you are going to be evangelistic, when you decide, hey, there are people in my life who I care about, people that I love, and they're not Christians, and I want to see them be Christians, I want to see them to be saved, what you start to realize is that this charade that I'm living, this this double life where I'm one way on Sunday, and I'm a different way Monday through Saturday, you start to realize that isn't going to work. That's not going to help at all. I need to make some changes in my life. My life needs to be consistent across the board with what I profess to believe. Just think about it. If a non-Christian came up to you and said to you this week, Oh, you're a Christian? Okay, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to watch everything that you say. I'm going to watch everything that you do for the entire next week. I want to see how you live." And if you live the way that you profess to live, I'm going to come to church with you on Sunday. Would that change how you live? Would there be some things in your life that, well, I'm, I'm going to have to straighten that up. That guy's watching me. That guy's paying attention to me. Would that change your life? Would that cause you to start to realize some things maybe about, about hypocrisy? I'm professing things. I say these are things that are important to me, but I'm not really doing those things. Not really living according to that standard. That's hypocritical. Would that change some things about you? Look at Matthew 18, please. In Matthew chapter 18, as you're turning there, I want you to think very seriously about the prospect and about the possibility that could your life possibly be hindering some other soul from coming to Christ? Is it possible that the way you are living that that's actually serving as a barrier for someone else to come to the Lord and to be obedient to the gospel. In Matthew chapter 18, I want you to think about that in the context of what Jesus says here in Matthew 18. Look in verse 6. Jesus talks about the little children, verse 6. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Think about that. Where does that put me? If I am, by my conduct, if I am repelling people away from the Lord. If the way that I am living is keeping people from coming to Jesus Christ by the hypocritical way in which I live. You stop and think about some of the just common areas that this mindset would just change in your life. What about kindness? Would, would being evangelistic and thinking about how that is going to affect my influence with others would that change maybe your level of kindness to others? You know, there are just certain attitudes that I think people in the world they just they just kind of expect that Christians are going to have, and unfortunately, not every Christian implements and utilizes those attitudes. Some Christians seem to think that things like kindness, well, that's just that's just kind of optional equipment. But you know what? If I'm at the restaurant and the waiter or the waitress messes up my order, and the way that I deal with that is by yelling at them, and I belittle them, and I'm rude to them in a very loud and boisterous and provocative kind of way, then you know what? It's going to be pretty hard for me to then turn around and invite that waiter or that waitress to come to our gospel meeting next month. That just isn't going to be very helpful, is it? Or what about things like joy? Shouldn't Christians be joyful? Shouldn't that be showing in our lives? Well, what happens when I just walk around in life and I've just got this sour, dour look on my face all the time? Or what if I'm the kind of person that I get on Facebook and I just complain all the time about everything? My life is so terrible and everything's awful in my life. Can I ask you, when people see that, why would anybody want to be a Christian based on what they see in that disposition? There's no joy in that. But you know what? start thinking evangelistically, when you start thinking, you know what, there's people around me all the time. There are lost souls around me all the time. And they're looking at me. They are watching me. And when my mindset turns to, I want to help those folks come to Jesus, then how we behave and how we talk and everything that we do, all of that just has to change, doesn't it? Or what about your prayer life? Which praying do you do? Do you think that you can just kind of show up on Sunday and all the praying that you really need to do, that you can kind of get all that done on Sunday? I'll tell you this, I don't think people who are evangelistic, I don't think they can get all their praying done on Sunday. Evangelistic folks, they pray to God regularly. They're always praying to God, Lord, give me an opportunity today. Lead me to some soul today. Lord, help me to, 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 to be a right kind of reflection to the people in the world that I need to be. Help me in my efforts to lead the lost to Christ. I'm lifting up this person by name to the Father. Lord, I'm talking to this person. And I'm studying with this person. Help me, Lord, to lead this person to you. You see, our prayer life, our attitude, our disposition, our demeanor, everything about you, everything changes when you resolve to be evangelistic. You start to recognize that in order for me to be truly effective in the world, then all of my life, Needs to be aligned to the will of the Father. That's not calling for perfection. What that is calling for is it's calling for consistency day in and day out. And so if somebody does come to me and they say, Josh, I need to grow. I do. I'm just, I'm still a spiritual infant. I'm a baby. I need to do some growing. I need to ratchet up my level of spiritual maturity. What can I do to make that happen? There's a lot of things I suppose I could offer. I could say, hey, get you a Bible reading schedule and start reading. You should do that. Or find somebody that you can serve and, and help them in some kind of tangible physical way. You could do that. Or find yourself an accountability partner, somebody that's going to kind of monitor you and help you and watch you so that you do grow. You can do that. But I'm going to tell you, if there is one thing that I could offer to you that I believe would just start yielding immediate dividends, something that would stimulate growth in your life in multiple ways, it would be this right here. Because as soon as you decide to be evangelistic, you will grow... And you will increase, not only these ways, but probably in a hundred other ways. And why? Because you are doing the very thing that your Lord and your Savior Jesus Christ came to this earth to do. And that is to seek and to save the lost. And as you walk in His footsteps, you're going to grow to be more like Him. Now perhaps there's someone here this morning who is lost, And you need to be found. You're not a child of God. You need to know this morning that even though this lesson has not been directed maybe directly to you, it certainly has been about you. And you need to know that you are in a room full of people who want very much for you to be saved. Even though sometimes, admittedly, we fall short in our efforts to to say that to you, and to demonstrate that to you, and to admonish you and encourage you to be saved, you need to know that right now, we really want you to be saved. In fact, we're going to sing a song together in just a moment. We call that a song of encouragement. And we are encouraging you to come to the Lord so that you can be saved. To become a Christian baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. You can then rise out of that water a new creature. You're in God's family. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And then you can join the rest of us in proclaiming the excellencies. Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Can we help you to obey the gospel? Brother or sister, can we help you to serve the Lord in a better way? Maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe there's just some lukewarmness. Maybe in the area of evangelism Do you need to do better in. Maybe we can pray with you and encourage you in some way. This invitation is yours as well. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to make that known. Do that by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.